Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. When you look around, there are a lot of things that you probably don't know are the result of women's inventions, women's efforts, and a lot of times those get lost in history. For example, did you know that a woman developed the first effective childhood leukemia drug and that a woman invented Kevlar, which is now used in so many products, including the bulletproof vest that policemen wear, and a multitude of other things? Again, a lot of these get lost, these historical efforts get lost. And a woman who has been on a mission, uh, an engineer herself, who's been on a mission for many, many years to raise the visibility and to keep these legacies alive and encourage more women to go into the STEM fields is Jill Tejan. She is an author, a national speaker, and an electrical engineer. And she's here today to talk with us about all of her work. She has a published book, including Setting the Record Straight series. And that explores the history of women in many of these mostly male-dominated fields like accounting, engineering, uh, and other professional areas. Uh, She's one of the top historians in the country on scientific and technical women. In addition, she works to nominate women of achievement to the National Women's Hall of Fame. Did you even know that there was a National Women's Hall of Fame? And she's the president and CEO of Technically Speaking, which is a national consulting company that specializes in improving opportunities for women and girls to have more career options in technology. She's also a frequent keynote speaker, and she's been inducted into the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame. And in 2012, she received the Daughters of the American Revolution History Award Medal for her book called Her Story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America. Welcome to the show today. Good morning. Thank you, Kelly. I'm very pleased to be here. You spent 38 years in the electric utility industry. Uh, As I said, you are now working to uh, enlighten women and really society about the contributions of women and to encourage girls and young women to go into so many of these these fields. Uh, One of the things that I didn't mention is that you've been a past national president of the Society of Women Engineers yourself. Why is it so important that we encourage women to go into these STEM fields, as they're called? One is that it's a pretty well-paying field, Mm -hmm. and women's economic self-sufficiency has been an issue for women for actually hundreds of years. There was a study that came out within the last few weeks that's been reported that of the top 10 most well-paying positions in the U.S., nine of those 10 are, in fact, in the engineering fields. But that's not what's most important to me. What's most important to me is that women think differently and women have ideas that men don't have. Mm -hmm. And when women don't go into those fields, then we don't get the benefit of their different way of thinking. And let me just give you a couple of ideas or a couple of examples. As you mentioned, I speak all of the time, and I get to use a lavalier mic on many occasions. And those lavalier mics are designed for men's ties, (laughs) men's suit jackets, 
and men's pants pockets. Absolutely. So, absolutely. And so if a woman <laughs> is wearing a dress, then she basically gets to end up holding the lavalier microphone, that square part at the bottom that transmits, because that microphone wasn't designed with her in mind. I also think about airbags. My first airbag, the first airbag in the car that I had, if it had ever gone off, it would have killed me. Oh, sure. You'd probably been cut off at the neck. I'm five feet, two inches tall. Mm-hmm. I weigh about 115, 120 pounds. It was designed, I think, as I recall, for a five foot nine or a five foot ten male who weighed 160 pounds. It would have killed me. Mm-hmm. And then my other example is the, the Windstar van. That was actually designed by a team of female engineers who decided, you know, it was really important to put that sliding door on both sides. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Not just on the passenger side, because if, if you're a mom and you're transporting and you're putting in groceries and you're trying to put in the baby and doing all of those other kinds of things, you need access on your side as well. And then that, that particular van, and there's some other cars as well that have been designed by women with the, the camera or the mirror that shows you what's happening behind you. Mm-hmm. Because, again, if you're my size, you can't see right. behind. You don't know what's behind that car. And so there are some that have sensors that beep, all those kinds of things, Addition, additional cup holders, things that actually benefit everyone when they drive but are not necessarily thought of because the perspective of men and women are different. And innovation is what drives this country, and science and technology are what drive innovation, and that's why we need women in the STEM field. Sure, and on a related note, I've seen statistics that say that uh, companies that have women on their boards of directors usually perform better than all male. And it goes to that, I believe it goes to that perspective, uh, additional ideas, additional insights that can be added. Uh, so, you know, not not just uh, in business, but as you mentioned too, in science and technology, that different perspective is very, very important. So with the emphasis on, with people like you and with with others like the Central Exchange here in Kansas City that are, uh, you know, they have they have an actual program around encouraging women to young women to go into STEM. Has there been much improvement? Are we seeing a change in the number of women entering these fields? I will give you some statistics, Kelly. Mm-hmm. 1972 was the first year that the percentage of women graduating in the U.S. with Bachelor of Science degrees in engineering reached 1%. Oh, my gosh. I graduated from college in 1976. Okay. We can talk about that for a minute, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. I went to the University of Virginia the third year that women were admitted. So there were no women at the University mm-hmm. of Virginia. Yeah, you're breaking ground. Yeah. And then in the 70s, things really did begin to improve. And by 1985, the percentage of women receiving bachelor's degrees in engineering reached about 15.5%. Okay, a little bit of progress. And, and since 1985, which would be 30 years, sometimes it's 16, sometimes it's 17, 
Sometimes it's 18, sometimes it's 19. So just another 1% to maybe 4% difference in another 30-some years? Correct. What do you think is accounting for that? Because there appears to be more awareness, uh, but it doesn't. the numbers aren't proving that out. Well, this is a little bit of an old study now, but in 1998 or 1999, a Harris poll was, was done, and a couple of key findings came from that Harris poll. One was that about two-thirds of American women either didn't know what engineers were or they didn't know what engineers did. And over half of American men didn't know what engineers were or what engineers did. Hmm. And there was actually one improving statistic in that study, which was from the previous time that the study had been conducted when 15% of the survey respondents said that engineers drive trains. Um, in that oh later gosh. study, <laughs> it had decreased to 5%. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> but- and so, so what that means is that if two-thirds of American women, who are the mothers and the teachers and the influencers, the guidance counselors, right. don't know what engineers are or what engineers do, and if over half of the men who, again, are parents and teachers and counselors and influencers don't know what engineers are or what engineers do. And it, and it extends to scientists, by the way, because the, the general impression of all of these kinds of people is a man with wild hair, <laughs> glasses with tape across the middle of the, the bridge of the glasses, a white lab coat with stained pockets from the leaking pens, pants that are too short, and white socks in, in the shoes and, mm-hmm. and with a calculator hanging from the belt. But that's not who we are. That's not what any of us are. In fact, I think part of the issue also is that there is not an understanding of the value that the STEM professions bring. And, and I like to use the, the following example almost everything any of us have done so far today and will do the rest of the day is influenced by the STEM professions. We woke up with an alarm clock (laughs) designed and manufactured and transported by the STEM professions. We had clean water in our house with which we could drink coffee and take a shower and flush the toilet that goes into the the wastewater system that's designed by STEM professionals. Right. We were able to drive in a car to wherever we were going, and the entire transportation system. You and I are speaking on a communication system. I mean, we don't, it's so ingrained, the technology, and then, of course, we have our iPads and our iPhones and <laughs> exactly. our and everything else that we are now 100% reliant on. We can't even get to our destination Mm -hmm, without mm -hmm. the GPS on our iPhone, all of which requires a tremendous technological backdrop that we don't even see in order to make it happen, all of which is driven by STEM fields. So it's so, so important for everyone, young women and young men, to be considering these STEM professions. You know, you bring up an interesting point when you really broke down just the first couple of hours of my morning, and I I utilized 
every single thing that you just described. Uh, do you think that just the fact that these systems have become so ingrained in our everyday lives that as children are growing up and say, oh, I want to do that. I want to be the person who makes this thing that I use, or I want to be the person who makes that thing better. Uh, do you think just that in itself, the exposure every day to these items will foster more people into these careers? Well, I, I heard what you said. I would love to agree with you, <laughs> but I think we just take them for granted. Mm -hmm. the, the, the life expectancy in the United States in the year 1900 was 45 years of age, the average life expectancy. The average life expectancy in the year 2000 was 77 or 78 years of age. Mm -hmm. And half of the reason for that increase was the availability of clean water. Right. Nobody even thinks about the fact that they turn the tap on and they get clean water. But I will tell you, because I have, I'm not in that field, but I have friends who are in that field, there's a tremendous amount of work and knowledge and effort and infrastructure that it takes to deliver that clean water to our homes, to our businesses, to our hotels, to our restaurants, I mean, everywhere to the airport, everywhere that we go. We don't, we don't even think about it. I think we take it for granted. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a part of that reason is that in the 1970s, when Earth Day happened, that happened in part for a, quite a number of reasons, but one of them was that the Cuyahoga River in Ohio caught fire. Uh, yes. And... And at that point in time, technology was bad. Mm -hmm. And so I think engineers went um, figuratively underground and stopped promoting the advances in technology. Um, one of the things that we are all benefiting from is the space, our effort to get a man to the moon yes. and in space. All the miniaturization, solar, lots and lots of things came from that effort. And yet we don't even understand how, what that effort involved and how that technology transferred to the things that we now actually take for granted right. in our lives. Yeah, and, and most people do. They, they, just, they don't want to know how it works. They just want to get up in the morning and turn that faucet on, and they don't care unless brown water comes out of it or something. And then all oh, yeah. of a sudden then oh, people yeah. care. But we, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to find out more about what attracted you to this field, especially back in the 70s when uh, women were just starting to enter these professions. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. Interested in growing your business? Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level. Whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature, Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check us out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing your businesses. Visit us today at www.ithinkbigger.com. Okay, Sarah, I'm dropping you at Emily's, and Josh, you're going to soccer, right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, and by the way, when I pick you up, I'll be wearing my short shorts. What? No! Yep, me and my short shorts doing my daddy dance. Your friends will love it. No! Well, I might change my mind if you buckle your seatbelts. Okay, okay, we're buckling up. See, all buckled. Whatever it takes, keep them safe. Never give up until they buckle up. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Visit safercar.gov slash kidsbuckleup for more information. 
Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Jill Tejan. She is she spent 38 years in the electric utility industry, and she has become the first CEO in the history of the National Women's Hall of Fame. She's devoted her uh, recent career to advocating for more women to embrace the STEM professions, and we've been talking about why that's so important. And uh, Jill, what I'm really wondering about right now is what attracted you to engineering? You mentioned that you uh, were in school in 1976, and you were only the third class in your university to admit women, I believe you said? Right. The University of Virginia admitted women for the first time under court order wow. in the fall of 1970. Wow. And I entered in the fall of 1972, but I did not enter in the engineering school. Mm. Nobody not my Ph.D. engineer father, <laughs> not my teachers, not my guidance counselors, not my mother, no one actually ever suggested to me that even with the very, very strong, and I'm a primarily math-oriented, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the sciences, and I actually think that's important for listeners to know as well. You don't have to be really in love with all of the sciences and all of the math in order to pursue an engineering career. I like the math. I hate chemistry. <laughs> I'm not really a big fan of biology. I do kind of like physics. But I started as a math major at the University of Virginia, and halfway through my first semester, I realized that I needed to be in the engineering school. I liked the kinds of things they were doing. It appealed to me. I wanted the problem-solving aspects of what they do. Mm-hmm. That's what engineers do. Sure. We solve problems. We make the world work. That's what technologists do. They look at an issue. They figure out a way to solve it. They figure out a way to make it work better. And so I transferred over to the engineering school. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I mean, there were, this was only the third year that women were admitted. There weren't any female faculty I didn't know that that was a symptom of the entire engineering field at the time. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was the way it was at the University of Virginia Mm -hmm. because they hadn't admitted women before. And so I really wasn't aware that there weren't very many women in engineering until after I graduated. Right, right. So there there were no role models. Not only were there no influencers, but once you chose to go into the field, there weren't role models either. That is correct, and one of the things that I decided after I was in the workforce was that I needed to encourage other young women who had skills and talents and abilities and needed to be aware that engineering was an option. That's why I joined the Society of Women Engineers and, as you mentioned, became very active and served as national president. I'm still very active in the Society of Women Engineers. It's a very important organization for me. Mm -hmm. Now, you have also written a book, as I mentioned earlier, called Her Story, A Timeline of the Women Who Changed America. Tell us about that book. That book profiles over 850 women in U.S. history from 1587 to 2011. It's been on the bestseller list in Denver many times, over 30 times received, as you mentioned, the Daughters of the American Revolution History Award Medal. Madeleine Albright wrote the foreword. And uh, for those over 850 women, it's across every field of endeavor. There are two indexes in the back. One is by profession, and one is alphabetical. So if there's a young woman in anyone's life 
and she says something like, well, there's never been a woman architect. There's mm-hmm. never been a woman whatever, fill, governor. There's never been a woman fill-in-the-blank, whatever it is. Go right to the professions index in the back of the book, buy category, look up the women that are in that category, and then because it's a timeline, they are indexed by year in which they are profiled. Go find the year. Mm-hmm. And you can... So women, women's first in every field of endeavor from astronauts to athletes to writers to Supreme Court justices to potters. You mentioned, I believe, 1580, did you say? 1587. 1587. What happened then? Virginia Dare was born on Roanoke Island, what has now become part of the state of North Carolina. Wow. She was the first um, English child born on what will become U.S. soil. As you have studied all of these women, uh, obviously all have made major contributions. Do you have some favorites for whatever reason, uh, some that especially uh, have caught your attention or that have stuck with you? Oh, I I have my (laughs) my first and foremost favorite, and by the way, I have many favorites, Mm -hmm. but my first and foremost favorite is Admiral Grace Murray Hopper. Admiral Hopper developed the computer compiler. That is the software that allows humans to speak in our language to a computer, and then the software translates that, our language, into the zeros and ones that a computer understands. She developed the first English-based computer language. She was instrumental in the development of the business language COBOL, and she loved to take credit for finding the first computer bug, which was a moth. Um, I, I've read that before, and so this is the person yeah. who discovered that. She found, well, she was working on the computer. The windows were open. A moth fell in, uh, mm-hmm. came in and got caught in the relays of the computer, and so actually the, lo- the moth is taped into the logbook. She was my first successful nomination for the National Medal of Technology. She was my first successful nomination to the National Women's Hall of Fame. And her, just that whole process has been so life-defining for me. And so it's very, she's, she's very important. Another one, another one that I'll say very briefly, Eliza Lucas Pinckney, someone, I, I mean, most of these women I had never heard of when I started my research. Sure. Most of the 850 I'd never heard of. Eliza Lucas Pinckney, at age 14, was running three plantations in the 1700s near Charleston, South Carolina. And she was the one who commercialized the process of cultivating indigo. Hmm. So anyone who is wearing blue today <laughs> can thank her. <laughs> and can thank her. And that was 1744. For heaven's sakes. 1744. And when she died, George Washington actually asked to be a pallbearer at her funeral. Oh, my gosh. Wow. One of her sons signed the U.S. Constitution. One of her sons was the governor of South Carolina. <laughs> What advice would you give a young woman today who is considering the STEM field? You know, as you've mentioned, over the last 30 years, we really haven't nudged up the percentage of women um, going into those professions. And uh, so, again, what advice would you give them as they're considering it? Uh, What I tell them is that engineers, technologists make the world work. We provide so much value and the young women want to make a difference in the world and as an engineer you have the absolute power 
to make a difference in the world. What are some aspects of leadership that we can learn from these historical women that would be desirable for women of the 21st century to emulate? I say that there are three keys that these women all demonstrate. They demonstrate passion, determination, and persistence. They, they did something. They had passion. They were driven to do it. They did it, the determination, in spite of people telling them that women couldn't or women didn't or they couldn't, and then they persisted. If it didn't work the first time, they tried something else, and then they tried something else, and they kept at it until they got it to work. What do you think that we can do um, in the business community, in our school systems, um, as parents? What do you think that we can do to encourage more women into these fields? Well, we need to be telling them the value because that's how young women make their decisions. They want to be providing value. And so we need to be encouraging them to take the math and science courses to prepare them in middle school and high school for their college education in the STEM fields. And we need to be telling them that these are careers of the future and that they're careers for them. You met, we talked a little bit about your book. We only were able to uh, talk about a couple of the historical figures that are mentioned. And it's actually, it's a very highly visual book, correct? There's lots of photographs in it. Uh, oh, there are thousands of photographs in the book. It's a beautiful, vivid visual timeline. So again, we only got to touch briefly on that, but if someone is interested in purchasing that book, how could they get a copy of it? It's available online. Any bookstore can order it for them in Kansas City. Rainy Day Books has mm-hmm. a queue on their shelf right now and will always order it for them. So it's, it's widely available. Okay. And where do you go from here? <laughs> <laughs> What's in your future? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm currently writing two more books. As CEO of the National Women's Hall of Fame, I only have two things I need to do raise $25 million from oh the Center for Great Women in Seneca Falls, New York, and fix the business model so that we can continue to tell the stories of women and write women back into history. Oh, it sounds like you're going to be busy for quite some time then. And uh, you have a website that people can go to to find out more information about all of this? Yes. Um, personal website is www.herstoryatimeline.com. And then the National Women's Hall of Fame is womenofthehall.org. And we welcome you to induction October 3rd, 2015, when 10 more women will be inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in Seneca Falls, New York. Well, Jill, thank you so much for all of the work that you do. And, uh, you know, good luck with all of your endeavors. And, you know, you'll, you'll actually have a way to see whether or not all of this is paying. Oh, well, it is paying off, but you'll, you have it the opportunity to see these these younger women going into these fields and the accomplishments that come out of that. So thank you very much for your work and much continued success for all of us, thank actually. Thank you very much, Kelly. Yeah. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.